Just before we begin our podcast today, I have to interrupt with very important and exciting news. Fresh off the press and available right now, my brand new book, Revival If, igniting your passion for personal renewal and national revival. I really, really believe as you read its pages, your spirit will be stirred, your heart will be sparked by the power of the Holy Spirit, teaching you to become a right now resurrected, revenant, remnant revivalist of redemptive change. You can pick up your copy at any fine bookstore, including digital bookstores on your favorite platform, or get your exclusive signed author's edition by visiting revivalif.com. Psalm 4-6, David wrote, many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your face, O God, over us. How do you leave your home in the morning without that? How, How do you do it? I don't understand it. Joni and I were talking the other day. We we often feel like we're living like aliens on a on a you know on a different planet from most people. People just jump up in the morning and you know grab their clothes on and halfway brush their teeth and you know look like they combed their hair with a wagon wheel and polished their shoes with a Hershey bar and run out of the house just to make it barely under the wire in time so their pay doesn't get docked to their job, go through their entire day. And then at the end of the day, maybe think about God for 30 seconds while they're falling asleep. But they're in church on Sunday morning singing, we want revival. Honey, you don't want anything but something for yourself. Self-serving, self-indulgent, self-satisfied, no revelation of the face or the presence of the God you say you serve. You know, I began preaching in my early 20s this statement. It's not the atheist shaking his angry fist in the face of the holy God that is the problem in the earth. Far more insidious, far more insidious is the so-called believer who despite his outward appearance, watch his preacher, is a verifiable stranger to the God, the monarch, the king, he claims to serve. We know about him, not even much of that. We know about him, but you don't know him. Brother Sumrall, my pastor, taught me to be a keen observer of persons to watch people because you should never be astounded when people have shown you who they are, when they prove to be 
who they are. And if you watch them, you'll know that. I can take almost anybody with me on one ministry trip. And by the end of that trip, I can tell you a lot about them. I can tell you about their character. I can tell you about their work ethic. I can tell you about what kind of wisdoms they operate in, Phronesis, Sunesis, Sophia. I can tell you where they have that wisdom of God that pays attention to the smallest details. I can tell you if they're a person who watches other people. I can tell you if they learn by their experience. I can tell you if they pay attention to words. I, I can tell you all that. But how do you expect to know God if you're never with him? If you're never watching him, observing him. You know, one of the main difficulties, those of you with children who may be on the autism spectrum and being healed and delivered therefrom, one of the main problems is that because of the way their brains are wired, they don't understand facial cues. That's why they have problems looking you in the eyes. They'll look away from you while you're talking to them because you're making all kinds of expressions with your face and they don't understand that. They don't know what this means. They don't understand what a smile means. They can only often be taught a smile. This means happy because they don't understand that, so they don't want to look at you. Maybe that's why you don't want to look at him. You don't know him. You don't understand him. Wow. So what they do then is they will rather look at something that is constant. They'll look at a baby doll or they'll look at a stuffed animal because that expression never changes. And they get that. So it's clear. God has something. Oh, hallelujah. Very specific, very important in mind when God says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, there, he gives the divine mandate, and I, I'm overwhelmed by this. When, when God gave me this and I wrote it down, I just, it blew my mind. God himself, the God of heaven and earth that rides the wild wings of the morning and builds his nest among the snow-capped peaks of mighty mountains, God, the creator, the Elohim, El Shaddai, Jehovah Isus Hakabat, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Makedesh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah, the God of heaven and earth, gives me a divine mandate and invitation to seek his face. God's asking you to desire with all your heart access 
to his royal throne. God crying out to you to have eager anticipation of being in his presence. We're supposed to aspire to above all else be granted, remember, the privilege of his presence. How many people do you think actually got to be face to face with Queen Elizabeth compared to the number of people that were under her realm? God's God's not some earthly king or queen that's going to be put in a casket and put in the ground. God's waiting on you. He's waiting. We used to sing a song, how long has it been since you talked with the Lord, since your soul felt his divine presence? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? How long since you felt his loving embrace? How long since you felt his arms of protection? How long since his shadow cast long over your life and family? How long since you felt him riding in the car beside you? I'm telling you that there are times, and I pray God gives you understanding of this, there are times I like to, to just drive. Often after Sunday, I'll, I'll just drive for maybe an hour just out country roads by myself because I'm still sensing the presence of God and I don't want to leave it. And sometimes I'll reach over and, and it's so real, I could almost take the hand of my Savior. I know He's there. Can I ask you a question? Forget revival. How do you live without that? That's what I mean. I don't understand you. you you're, you're kind of foreign to me. I can't, I can't go without it. As the deer, David said, panteth for the water brook, so my soul longs after you. Not after a television program, not after some other person, not after a ride on the merry-go-round of life. You. Your face. Your presence. I'm telling you, some of y'all work so hard at your play and play so hard at your work that you've got them both mixed up. You wear yourself out trying to have fun. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand, pleasures forevermore. So what does it look like to actually seek the king's face? Okay. First, we, we have to ascertain the true and actual all this. I'm sorry, I had such a great time writing this book and 
And, and when I see lines from it, I, I go back to that moment when, when God spoke to me. And, and I asked him that question. What does it look like in practical everyday terms, in the everydayness of life? What does, how do we live out in 2022 seeking the God of glory's face? And he said to me, first of all, you need to know my true identity. What? Wait a minute. Do you know people have all kinds of kind of squirrely understandings of who God is? Some people see God sitting in heaven, throwing down lightning bolts and making people sick and sending ravaging hurricanes. And I mean, some folks have some wacky ideas about God. Some folks see God as only a sandal-wearing, bearded, long-haired Jewish man from Galilee, you know, flipping out a few flowers as he walks along the sandy road somewhere. God of love. Some folks only see the lion of the tribe of Judah. Other folks only see the Lamb of God. You must have a proper identification of who God truly is. Who is this God who so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe upon him would not perish but have everlasting life? Who is he? Our quest, our search must become if we want revival, to wholeheartedly seek out the omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God of the Bible, the God of the Bible, not this religious God that answers prayer sometimes, not this God that religion says picks and chooses winners and losers. What kind of God is that? You wouldn't even want a government like that, much less a God like that. What kind of a God is it that people say sends people to hell? God sends no one to hell, and I'll tell you the other end of it. He makes no one go to heaven. Who's the God of the Bible? We have to remind ourselves of his true identity, who he really is. We have to remind ourselves of his glorious deeds, of his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence. Who is this God whose face we seek? Or if we don't know that, how will we know it's him when we find him? God Almighty, help us to never, ever allow the mighty one, hear me, to become small in our eyes. Oh, I wish I had an hour right there with this generation that no longer believes in a mighty God, that no longer believes that the blood will heal you just like it saved you or that it will even save you. You know, the oldest book of the 66 volumes of your Bibles, the book of Job, in chapter 26 and verse 7, Job shed some slight understanding of the infinite power and creative capacity 
of our God. Here are his words, speaking of the God whose face we are commanded and invited to seek. Job said, he stretches out the north over the empty space. Hear this, he hangs the earth on nothing. I like to say it this way. God came from nowhere. You know why? There was nowhere for him to come from. God came from nowhere. There was nowhere for him to come from. Then he reached out into nothing because there was nothing to reach for. He then took hold of nothing, called it something, pulled it out of nowhere and hung it on nothing. He pointed his finger at it and told it to stay where he put it. And no one disagreed with him because there was no one there. He grinned. He folded his arms and tilted his head and said, it is good. It would be completely irrational and futile to petition a small, weak God for a mighty revival. Our God is Jehovah Isus Hagaboth, the all-powerful one. Let me ask you a question. How big is your God? How big is he? Some folks need, some folks say, we need to pray that the Lord will come. Where would he come from? He's everywhere, he's right there. He's across your dining room table. He's out in your backyard. He's in the attic in the basement too. Where would I flee from the presence of the Lord? If I ascend to the heights of the heaven, your Bible says, he's there. If I make my bed in hell, lo, he is there also. He's not coming and going. Then what's the difference, pastor? You learning to practice an awareness of his presence. You'll stop cussing if you believe he's sitting at the table with you. You'll stop watching what you're watching and behaving as you behave when you understand your body is where he lives. You take him with you there. I heard a preacher one time say, well, if the speed limit's 55, God gets out at 56. <laughs> Not so. but how much of an awareness of his presence? Think about it. He's with, think about today. Everywhere you've been today, he's been there. Yeah, right there, he was there. When you said that, he was there. When you thought that, he was there. 
Let me encourage you to seek the very face of God. There, his face, you'll discover his voice, his words. There, you'll discern his breath, his Holy Spirit. There, you will receive the smile of his favor or the frown of his displeasure. Seek those things. Forget about prestige. Forget about wealth. Forget about what you're going to put on tomorrow or what you're going to eat. Forget about the gratification of your sensual desires. Don't be consumed about your friends and your social media. Don't be consumed about your pursuit of food and fun and friends. 2 Chronicles 7.14 doesn't mean to amalgamate occasionally seeking his face with your crowded agendas and fleshly pursuits. Placing God on a crowded, rotating carousel of priorities and activities that will never rend the heavens, that will never produce a deluge of heaven's rain. It will never produce a spiritual awakening that your heart should be crying out for. Jeremiah 29, 13 is very, very clarifying. You, God said, you shall seek me and find me. Think of that. You shall seek me and find me. Hold on. When you search for me with all your heart. Wow. I'm about to get up and run and find a church somewhere and go to preaching right now. (laughs) That's seeking. That seeking sparks revival. It's an all-consuming, overwhelming passionate hunger and thirst. It speaks of a desperation that makes God's face the priority that dwarfs every other desire in your life. The psalmist captured it and distilled that kind of passion and urgency when in Psalm 42 verses one through three, he said, as the deer panteth, After the water brooks, so my soul pants, longs after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. My mind, my will, my emotions thirst for God. For the living God, said David, when will I come and appear before the Lord? My tears have been my food day and night. Wow, there's an exclusivity to such pursuit. There's an outright abandonment. I think of it this way. The desire that a person would experience if they were drowning And all they wanted was one more breath of air. That's what David's speaking of. It's knowing 
that if we don't receive the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit breathing upon us or the sacred breath of an outpouring of God, then let us die. You are the breath I breathe. You are the water I drink. You are the bread of my life. Next question. When do we seek him? I think this is one of the greatest things God spoke to me during the writing. It was two years in the writing of revival if. When do we seek him? I have exactly five minutes to share it with you. Are you ready? In one sense, of course, there's an obvious answer, always. David sang it out in Psalm 55, 17. He said, morning, noon, and night I cry in my distress and the Lord hears my voice. The God who never sleeps nor slumbers commands you and me to seek his face continually in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 11. But another accurate answer would be at the prompting of the Holy Ghost. Certainly, <laughs> you and I both agree there, there wouldn't be a dissatisfactory moment in time to pursue the holy presence of God. But let me say it to you this way. Not all times are as productive as other times. Your Bible teaches us that. Very often, very, very often, one particular time of day appears in God's word over and over and over, exceptionally powerful and fruitful for divine encounters of the heavenly kind. It's probably not the one you think of. It's the morning. I think that it may be because for some hours we've been quiet and still. I used to keep a notepad on my nightstand and it'd be funny to look at after a lot of nights because I'm writing in the dark. I couldn't see the lines like, and I'm just writing. But now, you know, we're in the age of technology. So now I just keep my phone there and I've got it set to notes. And I just hit the button and I start talking, right? Because God will speak to you the most clearly, usually in your entire life when your eyes first come open in the, in the morning. You've been quiet, you've been still. God and his holy angels have been watching over you. It could be because, you know, it's we're making an offering of first fruits of a brand new day. Psalm 5.3 shouts it, O Lord, in the morning you will hear my voice. In the morning I will direct my prayer to you and I will, here it is, watch expectantly, call, and then wait on him. The atmosphere of expectancy, that's the breeding ground of miracles, waiting. 
Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Psalm 143, verse 8. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you I put my trust. <laughs> it's pretty clear, isn't it? At least for David and many of the other psalmists, morning was prime time for encounters of the divine kind with the king of glory and his presence in visitation and you seeking his face. Now, let's, let's not forget the example of the Lord Jesus. Mark chapter one and verse 35. Are you ready for it? Mark 1, 35. In the morning, speaking of Jesus, rising up a great while before sunrise, he went out, departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Now, some folks like to pray with worship music on or something. I, I don't know how that's not distracting. It might be useful to lead you into his presence, but I don't know that he's gonna speak over that to speak clearly and deeply to your heart. Perhaps he does. I've never found it to be that way. Do we need any other greater example than that of Jesus? Do we often or ever follow the footsteps and the plan of the master to get into the Father's presence? Do our eyes view the vast horizon of the black morning sky, mixing with the radiance of first light, that kaleidoscope of color, announcing that we are greeted with a brand new day of life? In those very first moments, do our spirits, our souls, find themselves longing aching for him above everything else? Or do we reach first for our cell phone? Or do we reach first for the remote control? Are we thirsty after the long, long night for living water? Or are we in a rush to get to Starbucks? Are we, are we hungry for the bread of heaven or a McDonald's egg muffin? Do we seek first our reflection in the mirror or the looking glass of his word? Socrates said this, offered us great enlightenment. He said, the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. Deeply embedded in the Levitical law was the principle of first fruits, the offering, first fruits. The Israelites were commanded to sanctify and present the first of all their increase so that what remained would be blessed. Those of us desperate for revival, we, we would do well to offer the first of every day to seek the face of God Romans 11, 16 establishes the principle of first fruits as a solid new covenant theology. If the first person portion of dough is holy, the batch is holy. If the root is holy, so will be the branches. 
for the sake of those lost and dying without the living Christ in our own families, bound by every kind of force of darkness known, that we are called to reach for the kingdom of God, for the sake of our own spiritual dryness and drought, may we begin to arise, not simply from the ease of spiritual slumber, but from the comfort of that diner rest you've got yourself laid out on. Let's meet the dawn every new day with the strength of spirit, the clarity of mind, and the heart of the Lion of Judah. Let's charge the light to find the place of God's divine presence. There, let us offer ourselves to him as an offering on the altar of first fruit sacrifices for the rest of that day, a surrender, a sacrifice of thanksgiving for the life of that day he's given us to bring increase to his kingdom and to bring glory and praise to the name of his Christ. May we, for the sake of revival, rise up early, give our first moments, our initial thoughts to him. May the first vocalizations be praise, be adoration to our mighty and magnificent, our good and glorious God. Imagine how transformed our first outlook on each day would be under God, under God. Let's begin to offer him the morning, that pristine time of expectancy and opportunity. He who never slumbers is already there waiting for you in the morning. God's saying, come near to me. He's fully aware that if we catch just a glimpse of his glory, his goodness, his majesty, his might, his power, his glory, his unfailing love for broken and fallen rebellious humanity, we will fall upon our faces crying out, the Lord, he is God. It is no accident that one of the key waypoints on God's prescribed path for unprecedented outpouring of revival is this, seek my face. It's more than a command. It's a royal invitation. It's the invitation of the ages. Remember where we began tonight with a revelation that the king's face represented access to his imperial throne along with all the privileges that are afforded by such access. Now ponder this reality. God, the ruling monarch of heaven and earth, has sent out a divine request, a royal decree for you to seek access to his face while signaling his merciful and gracious willingness to grant acceptance to you. Accepting that invitation, well, that takes faith. As the writer of Hebrews put it, chapter 11, verse 6, Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those, watch, 
who diligently seek him. <laughs> Massive, earth-shaking moves of a Holy Ghost and God are life-altering their destiny-changing, they are history-making revivals that sweep through churches, that sweep through cities, that sweep nations under their current are glorious for sure. But I want you to understand from the pages of Revival If, equally as glorious is that personal revival of a solitary, parched, hungry, thirsty soul. Why not you? Why not now? Why not in the morning? History has shown us that the fire of your very own personal outpouring of the presence of God could very well be the spark that ignites a national revival. If, only if. So my solemn prayer is that a fire of desire for personal renewal and national revival is being set ablaze in your heart. Let's seek God's face. Let's do it as we anticipate the greatest personal renewal, national revival the world has ever seen. Why not you? Why not in the morning? Let's begin. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I asked the Holy Spirit to let me cover that material with you in one session because I believe it's vital to what God wants to do in your life. Now, find out what time the sun comes up in the morning and set yourself an alarm. And if you don't do anything else, just go somewhere where you can see that sun peeping up over the horizon and greet the day with a praise for the living God that's giving you that day. Surrender your day to him. Your life is about to be renewed. I sure do love you. You know, for over 40 years now, my ministry has been marked by a very special move of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to pour those 40 years of ministry experience into your spirit. So allow me to send you my newest labor of love. It's called Revival If, igniting your passion for personal renewal and national revival. You can receive exclusive resources, such as your exclusive signed author's edition, study guides, a devotional for Revival If, and a whole lot more at revivalif.com. Now don't forget, you can connect with me on many, many social media platforms. Just visit rodparsley.com for all the official links. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast and may God empower you to bring revival to your family, your church, and the nation.